Well, good morning again, and welcome to WordServe. If you came in late, I'm Pastor Bill. Would love to meet you. I'll be right here by the side door. Uh, I have been out for two weeks. Miss me? <laughs> you never ask that in public, right? <laughs> I was just telling somebody, man, it feels like I've been out forever. Everything's changed for the better. You know, uh, maybe I should go away more often. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we are wrapping up the series. We did a series called Tell the Greatest Story. Because everybody has a story, but sometimes good stories don't always happen to good storytellers. So how do you tell the greatest story, even if you're not the greatest storyteller? So what we've had is a rotation of three pastors. We have three pastors on campus. Uh, two weeks ago, you heard from Pastor Eric. Last week, you heard from Pastor Alex. This week, you get to hear from me. Yay, and there was much rejoicing. So, so today is my day to tell you a little bit about my story, but I can't tell you my story without telling his story. And, and it's a good one. <clears throat> Excuse me, so well, we're going to get started here, but, but before we do, I want you to understand the power of stories. Why are we focusing on story? And here's the reason. The reason is that stories have power. Now, if you don't believe me, think about this. If I ask any one of you to come up here on the live stream and say, can you list off all the fruit of the Spirit? How many would be willing to give that a crack? Yeah, yeah, maybe if you memorize it when you were a kid, it's a little bit rusty. It's hard because it's memorizing, rote memorization of a list. But if I ask any one of you to come up and just tell in your own words the story of the prodigal son. There's three characters. There's a dad. There's a bad son. There's a good son. Could you give me the gist of the story? Yeah, because stories have power. We remember stories. They can shape a culture. They can shape a family. They can shape a relationship. They have power. Stories can shape an entire culture, even if the story isn't true. If you don't believe me, look at any effort towards propaganda. It happens all the time. It's happening right now. So let me ask you this. What if, just what if, there was a story that could shape our culture, our lives, our world, our relationships, everything about us, and it's true? Wouldn't that be powerful? Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today, the greatest story, and you're a part of it, whether you want to be or not. Just make sure you're the good part of it. <laughs> My story begins on a fall day in 1997, the worst day ever. I say that because I found myself in the hospital bed 1,292 miles away from home. I measured it. <laughs> I was laying on my back. I was attached to two tubes in my chest that were trying desperately to hold the lung open that had collapsed. Now, it, it wasn't just that it had collapsed. It had collapsed a week ago. And I had two other tubes that were trying to do the same thing that didn't work. So they had to go in and do a surgery. And so this was post-surgery, supposedly fixed the lung, and the suction was designed to pull the lung back open so it would remain where it was supposed to be, except it wasn't. And I was literally laying in the hospital bed. I couldn't go anywhere because you're attached to suction on the wall, right? I got two tubes. I got a five-foot radius that I can move. I'm laying on my back, and I'm staring at the ceiling. And I'm focusing on what? The next breath. Now, how many people have thought about how many breaths you've taken since you walked in this door? No one, right? We don't think about that. I tell you what, I never take a breath for granted anymore. If you've ever been denied that opportunity with the assurance that you're not maybe going to get another one, Man, breath is precious. So every breath is precious to me. I've counted every breath since I walked in that door, and I'm totally lying. No, I, I, I'm, not that, I'm not that insane. <laughs> but every breath becomes precious in that moment. Now, I've got to give you a little bit of context, because this, this worst day ever was my own doing. 
And, and here's, here's what I got to tell you this morning. Be careful what you pray for because God just might give it to you. So here's, here's the story that you don't know, the, the lead up to the worst day ever. Uh, I was born and raised in the church. My mom was the kids' choir director. If your last name was Hogan, you sang in the choir. My mom was the backup piano player, so if ever the piano player was gone, she had to be there. We didn't know. We were there every time the doors were open. I was raised in the church. I knew Jesus. I don't know. I can't ever remember not knowing Jesus. And then I grew up, and, and I, I got this wonderful opportunity to go fly for the United States Air Force. Unfortunately, it was the same time the movie Top Gun came out, and so I went full bore into being the best possible pilot, air quotes, best possible pilot that I could be. Need for speed, all that stuff. You never close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? So I, I kind of went off the rails there a little bit with my faith. It, it wasn't that I went just totally south. It's just that it wasn't important to me anymore. There were other priorities. And so I poured myself into being the best possible pilot that I could be. And I lost Jesus for a time. Then life continues to have a way of happening. And, and, and at this point, in the spring of 1997, the worst day ever, I got to tell you, my life was better than it had ever been. I was full. I had a beautiful and amazing wife. I had three beautiful, amazing daughters. I was actually proud to call them my daughters. Now, they may not be proud to call me their dad, but that's a different story, right? I, I had everything going. I had just been promoted early. I had just gotten a new title. I had new responsibilities. I had just been named associate professor at the United States Air Force Academy. That sounds way more impressive than it is. But trust me, my life was full. I, what more could I want? So the question began nagging in the back of my mind. If my life is so full, why do I feel so empty? See, something was missing. And so my prayer became at that time, God, you know, I used to know you like, like hand in glove. I used to talk to you all the time. I used to feel your presence. I don't anymore. Could you maybe just carve out some time just for us, just some alone time, you and me, nothing else, no distractions? And he did. That day in spring of 1997, with a collapsed lung, I had no place to go. I literally was laying on my back, looking at God with nothing else to think about except the next breath. Be careful what you pray for. Why would God do that? Well, I think God was doing exactly what he needed to do. And, and there is hope in this message for all of us because my story is not just my story. My story is our story. So whether we realize it or not, many of us lead full lives and many of us feel empty. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, you will. This is the world that we live in, is it not? So what I've got to ask you is, what is it that's pulling you? What is it that lets you feel full, but you're not really full? It's like cotton candy. You know, it looks really big and appealing, but once it's in your mouth, it's gone. You've got nothing. There's something probably in every aspect of your life. Some of you may feel full in many areas, but feel that nagging emptiness. Some of you may just feel empty and feel no fullness. And that is the most tragic of all. But there's hope for all of us today. I'm telling you, there's a better way. As you examine in your life where it is that you feel full yet empty, I want to invite you to turn that over to God today. And I'm even going to give you three steps that will show you exactly how to do that. It can transform your life, I guarantee you, or your money back. How's that? All right. Here's the thing, though. We all feel this dryness. We are designed to feel thirst. It's a protection mechanism. 
If we don't feel thirsty, we don't drink. We dehydrate and we die. End of story, right? Our souls are the same. God designed our souls to thirst for him. And when we don't have that satisfaction, we feel a thirst in our souls. That's the emptiness that we're feeling. It can actually be a good thing because it's a call back to God. It's a call to the source that will provide you what you need, that you will never thirst again. So this is not necessarily a bad thing, but let's examine some scripture that came to me in the spring of 1997 as I lay on a hospital bed. The worst day ever. I can't tell you where the scripture came from. I just know it jumped into my life like full bore. It was probably, honestly, a Bible study that we had done maybe the month prior. And it's John 7, 37 and 38. If you want to follow along in your apps or your Bible, John 7, 37 and 38. Now, here's a, here's a plug for the Bible study, right? It was probably a Bible study that I went to. I was like, man, do I really want to go tonight? I got so many responsibilities. You know, the, the Chiefs are playing on TV. But I went, and this Bible passage was talked about, and it was just filed away. No big deal. But, man, you never know how God is going to use that and bring that back. It literally changed my entire life, my entire outlook. So what is this mystery passage? Well, get on with it, Bill. All right, here we go. This is uh, uh, Jesus. He is standing in the midst of a feast. And if you don't know anything about the feast that Israel put on, man, those people knew how to party. If you travel 200 miles by camel to a party, you're going to party for a week, right? And this is what they did. So this is where we pick up the text. This is Jesus uh, speaking here. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. These are the words of God for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. Amen. So let's pick apart this text just a little bit because it's essential that you understand the context that Jesus is speaking in. The, the festival that he's talking about is a festival of booths. Israel commemorated their time in the wilderness. They would come together for this festival of booths. They would build the booths, they would live in them, they would re recreate the time that they wandered in the wilderness looking for God. On the last and greatest day of the festival, there was a, a, a parade, literally, I think Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade. This was a big, big deal. The priests would go from the temple, they would walk down to the pool of Siloam, they would fill up a giant pitcher, and they would walk back singing praises, uh, Psalm 118. If you want to read it, that's what they sang on the way back. We've got the soundtrack recorded. We've got the lyrics, right? So they walked all the way back, and then they would pour out this water as a sacrifice to God. Now, I know as modern-day people were thinking, really? That's it? No fireworks? No, no bangs? No nothing? Well, think about the, the context of this. How valuable is water when you live in the midst of a desert? Why would you pour it out on the ground? That's silly. You should drink that. You don't know when you're going to get more. Well, it's an act of faith. It's an act of giving to God, knowing that God will give more, that this is just the beginning. This is the first fruits of what God will return to you. That's confidence. And in that environment, as the pre, just imagine the Macy's Day Parade. You've got the commentators out there from Good Morning Jerusalem. Um, you've got everybody out there lined up, and this big pageantry and ceremony is going on, and all of a sudden this Yahoo in the back says, Hey, anybody thirsty? That's our Jesus. you got to love him. And that's exactly what he does. He, he interrupts everything, saying, look, I'm the guy. I'm the source. Come to me. 
But here's the things that came to me in the spring of 1997, the worst day ever. The first thing that came to me was, whoever believes in me. Well, I believe in Jesus. I can't ever remember a time I didn't believe in Jesus. I still believe in Jesus. I never didn't believe in Jesus. And this is good for me because I like this. When I believe in Jesus and he's got all this power, he becomes my cosmic go-to, right? In case of emergency, break glass, there's God, right? And I've got everything that I need. Or whatever you want. You'll see some preachers who preach to itching ears say, hey, you just name it and he will give it to you. I'm still waiting for my word serve jet, by the way. <laughs> Thank you for the efforts in the inflatable jet. That was nice. Just not quite what I was looking for, right? <laughs> but that's not the way it works either. God is not my cosmic vending machine. I say, oh, God, here's my quarter. Please give me. And now it comes. Anybody ever experienced that, by the way? Yeah, not me. No, I don't get what I want. I get what I need. And what I needed to, that day landed me in a hospital bed in the spring of 1997, the worst day ever. That's where it landed me. I began to analyze my life a little bit, and I began to learn some further lessons, because while I like the first part of this verse, whoever believes in me has all the cosmic power available to them, here's a part that hit me in that hospital bed. As scripture has said, see, I believe in Jesus as my cosmic go-to. But scripture tells me that Jesus is not just my savior, which by the way I need, Jesus is my Lord. The irony was not wasted on me. By this point I had 12 years in the United States Air Force. I understood command integrity and structure. I understood the chain of command. How would I miss this? Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my commander. He's not my buddy, he's not my friend, he's my commander. And if he wants me in a hospital bed on the worst day ever, then so be it. Do I understand it? Absolutely not. Am I happy about it? Absolutely not. Because the other part of this context is this. Is this is what made it the worst day ever. By that time, uh, as I experienced this worst day ever, I had been an instructor pilot for the Air Force in three different aircraft. Now, that sounds impressive, but what it really means is I can't hold a job. So. <laughs> as an instructor pilot, they drill into your head. You are always in control. You are never not in control. If a situation gets out of control, you act like you're in control until you get the situation back in control because panic will kill in the air. Peacetime or wartime, doesn't matter. It's, it, it's not a discriminator. You are in control. You never let things get out of control. Well, this was out of control. I tried everything. I tried praying to God, please fix this lung. I tried visualizing didn't work. I tried willing it. I tried by my own power. I tried to understand the doctors. I even got into their terminology. I read the charts. I, learned, I wanted to understand so I could fully help my body heal because by golly, I was going to get this under control. Except it was out of control. And as I began to look at this, I realized my life was out of control. I was trying to control it. I wasn't letting the commander control it. It's a huge difference in how all that works out. That's what made that day in the spring of 1997 the worst day ever. It was the day I quit. I surrendered. I had to admit I was not in control. I violated the prime directive of all instructor pilots for all time. I don't know if I could go back and show my face in the squadron. I, 
But let me tell you what happened in that moment when I surrendered completely. I said I quit. I felt a sense of peace wash over me. It was symbolic, too, because as I lay in the hospital bed, it happened to be raining that day, 1,292 miles from home, and the rain blanketed down the, windscreen, the, the windows. It was almost as though God was washing away all my cares and concerns, everything that I had done in the past, everything that I had ignored him, not listened to him, not followed him, not allowed him to be my commander. It was just washed away. And I felt that peace that passes understanding. I know that it's there. I would love to tell you that I live in that peace every day. That's not true. I live in this world. <laughs> but here's the thing. I know that peace is there. I know a deep, deep peace. Why would God tempt me like that and then pull it back? I don't know. But here's the thing. Maybe he's given me a precursor of what it is to live fully into him. And so at that moment, they were talking about having to go in and do the surgery again. They went out into the hall. They didn't think I could hear them. But you can hear everything, right? I heard them talking. Like, hey, this isn't working. It looks like the lung is recollapsing. We may have to go in and do that again. I don't know if you've ever had repairing a lung surgery, but they tell me it's like super, super painful, and I believe them because it was. I'd almost rather die than have to go through that again. And at that point, I didn't really care if I lived or died. And I don't mean that like suicidal giving up. It's like, hey, you know, whatever happens, it's going to be okay. That's the level of peace I felt in that moment. So why do I tell you this? Because I learned some valuable lessons that I want to share with you. I learned that there was a couple things going on in my life that uh, I had let, unfortunately, get very much out of control. I had become a bucket. Here's what I mean by a bucket. I had expected God's blessing to pour into me. And I was just there to receive and as God blessed me in my life and gave me this wonderful wife and daughters and job and accolades and all these other things, I was determined to give back, but only when I was full. I was going to wait until my cup was overflowing. See, I had to be completely full, and I had to wait. Okay, now I'll give back because he's finally given me everything I ever wanted for all time. Anybody ever been there? Have you ever gotten everything you wanted for all time? Yeah, me either, right? So I was trying to be a bucket. I went to church long enough to get filled, enough to last another week, and then I would come back. Because, you know, you burn your tank out there, especially if you drive on the Houston highways, right? You go out there, you lose little Jesus when you're doing your traffic, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, right? And then you got to come back the next week, and you got to fill back up with Jesus because you got to last another week, right? That's, that was the model that I was living by, at least I thought. But here's the thing about buckets. Buckets just contain water. And I was so full of myself and my accomplishments that there was no more room for God to bless me. I had everything that I thought the world told me I shouldn't have. But I was full of myself, and there was no more room for God. In that moment, I was a bucket. The other problem with buckets is as this just stays there, it gets stagnant. So while you think it's life-giving water, it's actually life-draining water. That's what the world will do to us when we fill ourselves with ourselves in the world. There's no power in that. Now, things will grow in that water, but it's nothing that you want in your life, I guarantee you. And so I, I, I learned in this that not to be so much a bucket, but here's the other thing I learned. I learned that in the process of being so consumed by the world, I was no longer focused on God. I was focused on the world. Now, 
God's blessings were still being poured out, but I wasn't pointed in the right direction. And so as God's blessings flow out, I wasn't getting any of them. And you know, in my humanness, what I said, God, where'd you go? Why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you filling me? Why do I feel so empty? It's your fault, said the cup. Right? I was pointed in the wrong direction. Not only was I emptying myself of everything that God had, I wasn't in a position to receive anything God was giving. It wasn't that God walked away. It wasn't that God had more blessings to give. It's that I wasn't pointed in the right direction. That's the other lesson I learned on a hospital bed in the spring of 1997, the worst day ever. But God wasn't done with me because God's that kind of guy. Not only did he turn my life upside down and convince me that being a bucket is not a good idea, he punctured my lung. That was the beginning of a journey when I realized that I was not designed to be a bucket as I reoriented myself that day in the hospital, and, and mostly for the rest of my life, at least I mostly pointed in the right direction, he convinced me that as he fills me, as I'm right in the right direction, I'm designed to give back the blessings that he gives me. I'm designed to be not a bucket, but a funnel. And as we live with Christ living in and through us, we share whatever it is that we've been given. We're not designed to hold God. We're designed to transfer God. We're designed to share God. So my question to you this morning is, are you a bucket? Are you pointed in the right direction? Or are you a funnel? Funnel is a much better choice because a funnel gives that life-giving water. Now, if I've convinced you that the funnel is the way to go, here are three steps that we can take. The first step. Reorient ourselves to God. Stop looking at the world around us. Pause. Let's pretend hypothetically, hypothetical situation, that we live in an overscheduled culture with an under-Jesus nature. Just pretend. We don't have time for Jesus. We don't have time for that connection. We orient ourselves to so many things. I wake up in the morning, I check my email, I check the sports, I check the news. I don't check Jesus. I'm so busy and scheduled out throughout the day, I don't have the time to even think about Jesus, let alone orient to him. But what if, and I know this is a hypothetical situation, but what if we made that our first priority? What if it's not only the first thing of the day, but throughout the day, we continually reoriented ourselves towards Jesus so we can actually receive the blessings that he's got for us? What if we willingly Pass that through, because I'll tell you what, he has a way of making you if you don't do it yourself. I don't recommend a punctured lung to anyone, just saying, I wouldn't go there. But man, I'm sure glad that it happened, because it taught me lessons that absolutely changed my life. So reorient ourselves constantly to God. The second one is, let's make a no bucket policy. Can we do that right now, word sir? Can we say, I'm not going to be a bucket anymore? I'm not just going to hold on to whatever God's got for me like I'm greedy. Let's share whatever it is that God's pouring. And let's become those funnels. Now you're thinking, Bill, I don't, I don't know anything. I can't tell a story. I'm not an eloquent speaker. You know what? Some of the best stories I've ever seen had no words. You know, the best worship service I ever attended was watching Mike Gersenberger repair my garage door. God bless him. 
truck doors open, KSBJ blaring on the radio, working on the garage door, pausing occasionally. Praise God. I'm not making this up. I wish I'd videoed it. Best worship service I've ever attended. So my encouragement to you is not just, my story is one of don't be a bucket, be a funnel, but it's a story for all of us because you all have things that God is pouring into you. You all have abilities and gifts and talents and experiences, good or bad. And let me give you this encouragement in this. If you notice anything in this illustration, you'll notice that God can use you most, not in your perfectness, but in your brokenness. God can work through that. God can take everything that's happened to your life, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, and work it for his good. God can take the worst day ever and make that a part of the greatest story ever told. Now, how do you do that? Well, that depends. What's God given you? You go, oh, Bill, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I can't spin a story like that. You know what? How many people need someone just to listen to them? You got the gift of listening? Pour that out. Just listen. How many people need a word of encouragement this morning? You got that? Pour that out. How many people have the gift of hospitality? How many people can make a family come in in the worst moment of their lives and make them feel at home? If you got that, pour that out. Uh, there's a million different things. The thing, the homework that you need to do is to ask yourself, what is it that God's pouring into me? Gifts, talents, abilities, experiences, good or bad. What is it that God has given me that I'm trying to hold on to? Because I think there's not enough God to go around. You see how ridiculous it sounds when we say it out loud? Why am I trying to hold on to this? Because I'm worried that there's not more. Do you know God? There's always more. What is it that God is pouring into you that you can share with others? That's the homework. That's the essence of all of this. So don't tell my story, but use my story to tell your story, to tell the greatest story. Because if, and here's my guarantee or your money back, if you will completely surrender and give it to God, everything that he has poured into you, you will experience a peace that passes understanding. You will have rivers of living water. You won't have to contain your own anymore. You won't have to worry about running out. There's more, always more, fresh, life-giving water. If you will surrender completely, if you will let God work through you, you will experience a peace that passes understanding. And you will be called to do something God-sized that gives you meaning and purpose, not this little piddly worldly stuff. I promise you, he promises us. If you believe in him, as the scriptures have said, then out of your hearts will flow streams of living, life-giving water. Bill, how do you know this? Well, I know this because it's a lesson that I learned in the spring of 1997. The best day Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the lessons that you teach us, even when they're painful. We thank you for the experiences that you give us because we know that all things can be worked together for the good of those who love you. God, teach us to love you once again like we first loved. And God, as we bring everything that we have to you, 
Help us to recognize that whatever we have is something you can use. There was a little boy with five loaves and two fish. He gave all he had. You fed thousands. God, remind us it's not up to us. It's up to you. The only thing left up to us is how much we're willing to give back to you as we surrender completely. Help us then to surrender and experience the streams of living water. In Jesus' name.